You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. And welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for our Digital House Church. My name is Riz, a pastor here at Reality Honolulu, if you didn't know me yet. Uh, before we get into the Word of God, we're going to actually continue our time of worship in the way of giving, our tithes and offerings. And um, we see this from Scripture as a way in which we worship the Lord. Because God is generous and we be, we're being made into His image, uh, we become a generous people and we we give and participate in the furthering of his kingdom. And so thank you so much for your generosity thus far. And uh, so excited and thankful to partner with you to see God's kingdom come. Uh, for more information uh, about this and how to do so, how to give to the work that God is doing in and through Reality Honolulu as an act of worship, you can go online to our give page on our website and see that. But what I want to do is I want to pray for that as well as transition and pray for our time in the Word of God this morning. So why don't you join with me? God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the ability to gather, even though it's digitally. Um, God, we thank you for these finances, these resources that you have given us as a church, that you've used all of us corporately to, to give towards what you're doing um, and seeing your gospel go forth and us growing in Christ and us being able to serve um, our community and our home and the world around us. And God, we just ask for, for um, exceedingly abundantly more uh, in and through reality, Honolulu, this year, 2021, than we've ever seen. God, we, we want to be used for your glory and your namesake. And so corporately, God, we just say, here we are, use us. And God, as we dig into your word now in the book of Acts, I pray for each of us that are listening and watching this, whether it's just alone or with our family or roommates or friends or if we have a small uh, uh, gathering, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word and allow it to minister to us? We want to hear from the one true living God this morning. God, I ask that you use me as your mouthpiece for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, amen. Well, a quick recap if you weren't here with us last week, but we are uh, back in the book of Acts. Today we're looking at chapter 14, and we're right in the middle, uh, or kind of, you know, ending uh, Paul's first missionary journey. And last week we picked up in a city named Poseidon, Antioch, modern-day Turkey, uh, in which we studied, you know, this, this sermon that Paul gave, which recalled Israel's common history and spoke about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection and, and made the case and spoke the good news that Israel's history that foretold, that prophesied about, that was looking for a Messiah to come and save them and forgive them from their sin was the person of Jesus Christ. 
He was making the case that Jesus was the promised Messiah and Savior of the nation of Israel and for Jews and Gentiles alike, for the whole world. And he gave them an option, an opportunity to believe, um, there, and there was mixed responses, right? There was mixed responses. Many believed and many didn't, and there was opposition and persecution, which we saw last week. But the overall context is that we see that this is Paul's first missionary journey. He is journeying outside of his, his um, you know, Israel there. He's going to, to Cyprus. He's going to modern-day Turkey. He's traveling around there, and then he's coming back. And I actually have a map. Look on the screen here. You can see that, but he leaves Israel. He's traveling to Cyprus, and then last week we saw he arrived in modern-day Turkey there. He was inland in Poseidon, Antioch, and today, if you look southeast, he goes to these other th cities, um, uh, Lystra and Derbe, and then he actually travels all the way back. And on this journey, it's been him and Barnabas and John Mark for a bit of the time, and they've been going and they've been spreading the good news about Jesus. And where we pick up today is where we left off last week um, as Paul has left Poseidon Antioch and he's moved southeast to the city of Iconium. And so let's start reading, pick it up where we left off in this story, this historical narrative in Paul's first missionary journey, uh, chapter 14, verse one. I'll be reading out of the NIV translation and uh, what I plan to do is just kind of walk through the text with us together and then at the end give us some application uh, for ourselves, what we can glean and learn from Paul and from how God used him uh, in our own lives. So here we go, Acts 14, 1 through 7. We're going to talk about that and then read the next section and so forth. It says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, just like they had done last week. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The, the, the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to uh, Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, or Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so they do their usual here, right? Paul and Barnabas get to this new city. They go to this Jewish place of worship, to the synagogue in that city. And again, they share, they preach the gospel, they talk about Jesus, they, they communicate who Jesus is and what he's all about and what he did upon the cross and he rose again to forgive their sins. And once again, there's mixed responses, right? Like last week and really like always when... Uh, any Christian of any time period has shared their faith, there's mixed reactions, right, to the response. Here in our story today, there's interest and there's opposition. 
Some believed and some fought against it, right? Some actually were spreading lies like poison in their minds, they said, against what Paul and Barnabas were saying. Um, And it says there that those hearing this were divided. Their response was divided. Um, And if if you've attempted to share, uh, you've been a Christian, at any amount of time and wanted others to know the truth that you have believed, like you've received and believe that Jesus is your Lord, that he's forgiven you, that, you're, that you're, you're, you have the hope of eternal life. You have abundant life here and now, uh, the hope of heaven. You want to share about who Jesus is. I'm sure if you've done this in any way, with family, with coworkers, maybe a really close friend, uh, maybe a stranger, right? Um, I'm sure you've experienced the same. Some of those you share with are receptive and some are defensive. Some are more open right away and some takes lots of time and some are hostile, right? We, I mean, we know that. And, and, and so I think in, in a small way or in, in a partial way, we can all relate to what Paul and Barnabas were going through here in the text right now. They, they, they try to share, and there's mixed feelings about this good news, right? Some believe it as good news, and some don't. We see here, though, as the text goes on, um, this is the first time you know, in this chapter here, which kind of ties into the, to the main theme that I want us to see, this kind of thread that goes through chapter 14 today. Uh, and it's where Paul and Barnabas, if you caught it there, that despite the reaction and the response being somewhat hostile, defensive, um, they chose to stay, at, le- at least at first. And persevere. Rather than cut and run, we see in verse 3 that it says they stayed a while. They stayed a considerable time there, and they really tried to put in the time and work to share and convince those that were opposing them or had questions or had concerns or hostile. They tried to, it says there, Spend considerable time there, really sowing into that people, like giving time and attention and care and prayer. It wasn't a quick thing. It wasn't just right away that they spent considerable time there. But it does say after a considerable time there, because of threats of injury and and possible death, uh, that, that, that threat became too great. They made the wise decision um, after, after much time and persevering um, had taken place to move on um, to neighboring towns and, and, and areas, Lystra and Derbe, which were just southeast of where they were, if you remember the map that we just showed you. And then we pick up kind of this story, this narrative in verse 8 of chapter 14 says this, in Lystra... When they got there, right, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and he began to walk. 
Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes uh, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates uh, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to these, these gods. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, They tore their clothes. They rushed out to the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are just bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 16, in the past, He let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not himself without testimony, uh, excuse me, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to these other gods. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, where they just were, and they won the crowd over. But they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around them, he got up, went back into the city, and the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Okay, lots happening here, right? So they arrive to this new city, Lystra here, And immediately it says they encounter uh, this man. And as they're beginning to tell of the good news, not only do they tell of the good news, but they show the good news. They show the gospel and the kingdom of God in a different way here. It was in the form of healing. Right, if you know anything about Jesus and his public ministry, this was very similar to Jesus, as well as what we've also seen in uh, the book of Acts. Right, God's care, his love, and his power is shown in one way by miraculous healings. And in a real sense, what's happening here with Paul is it's actually giving validity to his words. You know, that, that, that his words, that this good news isn't just um, something that he's made up, but rather it's, it's something that, excuse me, one second. <clears throat> this miraculous thing that he does to this man by healing him and walking for the first time is giving validity to his words and his claims about this Jesus and about the one true living God. By God healing, it's showing his power. His his power is shown and it gives substance and validity to Paul's claims. But even more, it's demonstrating the coming of God's kingdom. God's rule and his reign is not only Good news, 
It's not only this truth, but it's, it's, it's God's rule and reign over sickness, over disease. And ultimately, it's pointing that God has the power even over death itself. It's this radical move of God. The truth is going forth. Paul is healing people. And, and, and Paul's gospel demonstration here as you can see, is more than just verbal and informational news. It's holistic. It shows that God not only cares and gives attention for their minds and their hearts, but also God deeply desires redemption and renewal to even their physical bodies and their present circumstances as well. The crowd's reaction to all this is that, you know, not all believed. But it says those that did couldn't even compute who this new God was. And even though they're like, I'm in, I believe that, they passionately and wrongly gave the credit to what they were seeing in front of them to their own Greeks, Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And when Paul and Barnabas hear this, right, they, they run out, they're, they're, they abruptly to the same tone, tear their clothes and reject what's happening. They say, what are you doing? Don't look to us, but look who the God who sent us, who's actually doing this. We're just mere humans like you and I, but look to the one true living God. But this was something that, and someone that they had never seen before. That, the, the, you know, that, that what they were seeing, that the good news and, and the miracles they were seeing that, uh, that, that were delivered was actually by the power of Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. And Paul says, this God is the creator God that made the heavens and the earth and everything in the sea. And even that you're blessed with food and abundance is from Yahweh the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the good news that I bring to you is about his son, Jesus, that he sent to die for humanity, for the sins of you and I, to forgive our sins and to restore our broken relationship with creator God once again. This is what Paul is saying. But it says here in verse 18 that the culture was so wrapped up in, in their own worship and their own deities, they had trouble not defaulting to their own culture's worship still. And then it says in verse 19, right, then backup and support came. Um, it says there, you know, that, that, that other Jews from Antioch, these recent converts were most likely from Antioch and Iconium came. Um, and it says that they won the crowds over. Now, most likely that's them believing or maybe calming them down or maybe helping them understand. But what was potent about this was that, these were familiar people. This was their own countrymen. It wasn't just this random Paul and Barnabas. These were people possibly that they knew, that they were the neighbors of the adjacent town. They were coming now and giving substance to this truth. And it says it won the crowds over. But even then, that didn't calm the persecution, right? Even then, those that were so opposed 
actually went ahead and carried out some of the most brutal persecution Paul himself has received and actually it goes so far to stone him and it graphically describes him being dragged outside the city thinking he was dead. But by God's grace and God's hand, he wasn't. His time was not up. God once again spared him, saved him, and with all God's given strength and perseverance, says he gets up and continues on to the next city southwest called Derbe. Uh, and then I want to read kind of the rest of our, um, the end of our chapter here, verses 21 through 28, as we see that time in Derbe, and as Paul travels back, uh, finishing off his first missionary journey. Verses 21 through 28 says this. When they got to Derby, right, after he had just been stoned, verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And, he's, and they said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Verse 24, after going through uh, Phasidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and from Italia they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay few things happening there as well. So, right, uh, the first thing is Derbe's reception, right? He goes to the city, preaches the gospel, and it says that despite the town over, the fierce persecution, Derbe's response is met with overwhelming harvest. A large number come to know and follow Jesus. And, th and that's really kind of all we see there. The visit is short, and the returnee uh, the, the journey uh, home, can, uh, you know, starts up, going home. They travel back through the two cities they had just studied. Uh, Paul, though, instead of just saying goodbye and, and kind of getting out of there, he encourages. He, he makes sure to encourage and exhort them to continue on in their faith. And specifically, he wants to normalize this opposition and persecution that's been going on. He wants to normalize it. And he, he reminds them that it is to be expected for them to meet opposition as followers of Jesus. He doesn't just gather them and, and encourage them and exhort them in these ways, but he actually, you know, establishes some church leadership and structure and elders, and he really tries to set them up for fruitfulness, set them up for long-term 
discipleship. And so, and so he does that, and then he preaches all the way down to the coast, and then he sails back to Syrian Antioch. And it says when they get there to the church in Antioch, um, Paul then shares the good report on all that God had done. Right, the open doors that God had made, the open doors to the Gentiles, not just God's people, the Israelites and the Jewish people, but now those non-Jews, the gospel was spreading into to Asia and into Europe, and it was taking off. The gospel had left Jerusalem, had left Judea and Sumeria, and now was on its way to the ends of the earth. And we end chapter 14 with Paul gathering with his home church, gathering where in the place where the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in this church in Syrian Antioch, and he reports and he declares all that God had done uh, in these last two chapters, Acts 13 and 14, on his first missionary journey. Looking at all that, in summary and for application's sake, looking at the example of, of Paul and Barnabas and how God led and used them through their experiences, I believe we can glean and apply some really important truths to live out and be reminded of for ourselves also today. Number one is to be steadfast in our calling and in the mission before us. You know, last week I ended with reminding us that we live in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts, the continuation of all that we see in the book of Acts. Jesus, again, giving the baton of, of the gospel message to us. We are now ambassadors. We're representatives uh, to, of God to the world, to the far corners, to every tongue, tribe, and nation. But just like Paul and Barnabas were steadfast knowing what they were supposed to do, church, I want us to remember and know our place and the importance of each of us in that. See, we all don't have to be Paul and Barnabases or preachers or pastors or evangelists and missionaries for this to apply to. Yes, I understand this is the context. Yes, I'm a pastor telling you this, but we are a part of God's family. We are all a part of this task. We are all ambassadors. We're all representatives. And God has actually uniquely made us introverts, extroverts, uh, with your gifts, with your talenting, with your per uh, talents, with your personality. Uh, he's given you, he's made you who you are for a purpose, for a reason, and to be a part of the whole. He's placed you in your job, with your family, with your roommate, with your neighbors. He has you shop at that store and get gas there and go to that certain Costco and go to that Walmart or that Target. All is not a coincidence. All is the sovereignty of God. And every part of your life is to be purposeful, is purposeful, that you would be a witness of Jesus in that exact context. Because you and I and every one of us have unique access to certain people that none of the world has. 
You have friends that trust you. You have family members that love you. You have relationships with people that no other person on the planet has. Your life is equally as important as anyone else's life and equally as potent for the furthering of the gospel because each life matters. Each person matters. It doesn't matter how many people you save or you talk to or you preach to. It doesn't mean you need to get on a stage or behind a camera like me. Each of us have a unique role and purpose, a part of this, this huge task and calling that we're all a part of as Christians. Church, I, I want us to just like know that, like know your role and your place and like be steadfast in like being Jesus in your unique spheres of influence. It doesn't matter again if you feel like, oh, I just am not the one to share. I don't even know. I, I. God wants you to love and tell and show others about Jesus. And it's okay if you feel like you don't know how or you're not comfortable or that's just not me. Uh, God wants to use all of you. And he desires to use all of you for his glory. The biggest thing is to know that and to be steadfast and to uh, know your place. Okay. Um, number two, in that, know that God wants to grow perseverance in us, not if, but when we encounter opposition when we step in to this mission, right? As we begin to show and tell and live for God and share it with others, all of us that participate in that, in living for God and showing and sharing Jesus with others, will encounter pushback, will encounter defensiveness, uh, an unwillingness to listen to us, and in some cases, even persecution. Now, this happens much more in other places in the world than where we are, but nonetheless, the point is, is that in the same way Paul went to those churches and said, hey, just so you know, living for Jesus, you're going to encounter opposition. I say the same thing to you today. But it doesn't just stop there and we go, oh, man, this is just going to be hard then. Oh, that relationship's going to be hard. Oh, but God actually wants to grow and teach us perseverance in character that despite the opposition, that we would continue to press on, that we'd continue to, in love and in truth and by his grace, share the gospel with the world around us, regardless of the reception or the response we get. God desires that we would be a people who don't run away or give up when there's opposition, but rather that by his strength and by his grace that we continue on and we continue sharing and showing Jesus to those around us. Bible talks a lot about this, but a few examples. Uh, the book of James, James is writing this letter. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, fellow followers of Jesus. Count it all joy when you meet trials and of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, when it tests you, when, when, when what you do is, is being opposed and not received well, it tests your faith, 
but not just for any reason, actually to produce steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, God wants, God desires, God actually uses these, this opposition to the gospel when we share it to strengthen us and grow us. Paul, Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 5, 3 through 5, says this. He said, we can actually rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering actually does something. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not Put us to shame because God lo God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God desires to strengthen us, mature us as disciples that despite the response we get, that we would become a steadfast and persevere persevering followers of Jesus. Thirdly, I believe that we can glean from Paul and Barnabas and this chapter today, that we need to do this in Christian community together. As a form of discipleship, Paul, Paul gathers the church. He, he, he gathers them as a community and he encourages them that they are not alone, that they are a part of a family of God as followers of Jesus. And regardless of your context, we share in this. Like we go through the same things together. And so for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of encouragement, we aren't supposed to just be Lone Ranger Christians, but we're actually supposed to do all of this. Like all that I'm speaking about, sharing your faith and living for God and, grow, and, and, and showing and telling about Jesus. You may do that in the moment alone, but you're actually supposed to come back and like share about it in community. You're supposed to bear the burden or bear the hardship or, or be able to have people in your life, other Christians, your church, to bear that with you, to encourage you, to pray for you, to talk with you. So important that none of this is just done alone and lived alone because you're gonna burn out. You're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna have no support. We as the church, despite us being distant, are supposed to do this together. And even in the book of Hebrews, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. It highlights men and women who have followed God radically and experienced some radical persecution for that. But then chapter 12, verse 1, right after that, in context there, says this. Therefore, since we have, we, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, since we've just seen that there's so many men and women that have followed God and lived for God and shared their faith and told others the good news and been persecuted for us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run that same race with endurance, with perseverance, the race that is set before us. But, but the author of Hebrews says this 
because of community. He says, I, I, I want you to run with endurance. I want you to live for God. I want you to do this. And the only way you can do this with endurance and perseverance is because others have been strengthened by the grace of God. He says, because of your community, because we've seen that a great cloud of witnesses has gone before us and God has strengthened and provided and saved and rescued and sustained them, you can do it also. So important that all of this is done in Christian community. And lastly, I'll say this. Paul gets back, right, to Syrian Antioch. And there's a lot he could talk about. But, but Luke, our author here, all, all it says is that he just recalled the open doors that, that he had just seen, the good things. He had recalled the fruit. And, and, you know, I'm sure he talked about some of the hard stuff and, and the persecution. I'm sure he did. But he did not concentrate on that. And that is not the salient and potent and important thing that he remembered from this missionary journey. But what Paul did was not concentrate on the obstacles or the pushback he had gotten, but rather he saw evidences of God's grace in these open doors. He saw God's leading and God's provision. And again, I, I'm not saying that, that, you know, don't be mindful or prayerful or, or don't think about hard things or the persecution or, 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 or um, you know, when you encounter opposition, I don't, I don't want you to just go, oh, I'm not going to think about it because Paul didn't think about it. The point is, though, that it's so easy to just think of the bad stuff. If you're anything like me, um, I, I would say I'm optimistic, but when it comes to church and ministry and me being used by the Lord, for, so, for some reason, I fall into the trap of just seeing the negative, seeing what didn't work, seeing what didn't happen. And this is a reminder for me and for all of us to actually, when we assess our lives and how things went and our relationship with Jesus and how that conversation went when you shared Jesus with the person next to you or, or the attempt to be bold and to show and tell people about Jesus, instead of just seeing the bad parts, the pushback, the obstacles, or, you know, instead of concentrating on, oh, they didn't receive, or, oh, they don't believe yet, look for the grace and the evidence and the open doors that God has done, that God has given, and press in to those good things. Pray in uh, for more of it. And the reason why I, I end there is that, church, I know this has been such a hard season. Like in so many ways, I know it's different for all of us and it's uniquely hard for each of us and, and harder for others. But I, but I understand that this, this season can be really taxing and, and you can lose your drive to live for Jesus and share Jesus and engage, right? It's real easy to get just apathetic and come and, and you know, just like tired, exhausted. And I get that but I don't want us to stay there. I want to exhort you, similar to what Paul did, to re-engage and be a part of what God is doing and seeing his kingdom come forth. Again, this is, this is 
the long game, don't be discouraged about that one time it went bad or, or maybe there's someone in your life that you've been praying about for a long time and they still don't know Jesus. Do not give up, church. Do not give up. Do not give up praying and trying and pressing in to share the good news of Jesus with those around you. I want to remind you what Paul said to the church at Galatia. He said this, Galatians 6, 9. He said, let us, he includes himself here, not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary, church. For he says, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Meaning, you'll see the fruit. God will answer that prayer. Like, do not lose hope, do not lose faith, and keep going. Persevere in preaching the gospel. Persevere in loving and living for Jesus and showing others despite the reception and the response you get. Church, I'm committing to praying for you that you would, in your unique sphere of influence, be an ambassador and witness of Jesus to those that need him most. Love you. See you soon. God, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for this reminder in your word. And we pray as we worship now that you continue to strengthen us and embolden us to live for you. That you would give us the words to speak. You'd give us courage and boldness. And that you would remove discouragement and defeat and fear that we would just live so boldly for you that those around us would see there's something different and they would even ask us, what is going on? Who is this Jesus you're talking about? What's he all about? We pray, God, that we would see a great harvest, that many would come to know you and that we would be a part of it. We're humbled that you would use us, but God, we want to be used because we want to see our family and our friends and our coworkers and, and those in our life saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you continue to strengthen us and grow us to be a persevering people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.